Welcome to the Lot Carey Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, pastor of the First Baptist Church of New Market in Piscataway, New Jersey, and learning coordinator for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. The Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving weekly podcast grows from a multi-year journey among pastors committed to flourishing in ministry. This is a project of the Lot Carey Foreign Mission Society and is made possible through the generous support from the Lilly Endowment. Learn more about Lot Carey and how it helps churches to extend the Christian witness throughout the world at lotcarey.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot org. Join us for weekly conversations with pastoral thought leaders who share wisdom from the Black church for the whole church. Let's join Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, Associate Dean for Vocational Formation and Christian Witness at Duke Divinity School and the Project Director for Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. This week, he's in conversation with Reverend Dr. Rosalind Nichols, organizing pastor of Freedom's Chapel Christian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are thrilled to welcome to the Pilgrimage of Striving and Thriving podcast, Dr. Roz Nichols, pastor of Freedom's Chapel Church in Memphis, Tennessee. Dr. Ross, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Dr. Gokul. As you're aware, more than 50 pastors have been on pilgrimage together toward flourishing in ministry. Our assumption is that every round does not go higher and higher. We also believe that flourishing in ministry requires both striving and thriving and that flourishing in ministry can be understood like a tree. Sometimes there are leaves, sometimes there are blossoms, sometimes leaves may be falling away, and sometimes there are only branches. Still, the tree can be healthy and thriving. Can you describe for us what flourishing in ministry looks like to you? Yeah, it has uh, genuinely be, been all that you described about the tree. With that being said, I, I have had to examine, and the pilgrimage has really given me the opportunity to consider the journey both personally in terms of my own spiritual walk and professionally from the angle of my role as a pastor, and then in a third way, communally in terms of the shared journey with my congregation. Those seem to be three separate things for me at least. And, and what I have discovered along the way is that each of those, uh, while in concert with one another on some level, they don't always appear to be at the same place at the same time. And what I mean by that is upon reflection, there have been times when perhaps the ministry was full and ripe with blossoms. 
But personally, I was experiencing the falling away of leaves. Uh, an example of that is that um, there was a season in which I had a lot of loss, both personally, the loss of my mom and my aunt, and then uh, key leaders in my church uh, were passing away. But it was also at the same time that the church got a the gift of a new facility to move into. And so those two did not go, uh, they weren't all at the same time in the same way of thriving, uh, or they didn't look the same on the outside. And so I have, um, or am, I have therefore, or I am learning uh, to examine that orchard, that tree orchard, if you will, uh, from various perspectives and that all of the trees in my orchard, in the orchard of my life, they don't necessarily grow concurrently. Um, they don't grow together. But that being said, it doesn't mean that one negates the other, right? One tree doesn't um, mean the other one isn't where it should be. And then when I thought about it, I thought about the question and you know, the story of Jesus and the fig tree wasn't producing anything. And he just said, it's gotta be cut down that uh, I don't necessarily need to cut down something that just doesn't look like it's growing in that moment, right? Uh, there's a part of that story I've heard preachers talk about. Well, it wasn't even the time for the fig tree to be producing. And so I've learned that uh, not to necessarily uh, cut one because of what's going on with the other. Yeah, I've learned and am learning, I guess, to be more patient with the growing seasons of the various trees in my life. Well, we've been uh, working uh, with Pilgrim Pastors on something that we call a formula for flourishing. Not the formula, but a formula for flourishing, which holds that if a pastor's leadership capacity plus service context yields ministry content, there's a higher probability for flourishing. I'd say it a different way that if a pastor builds her content out of serious attention to her capacity and her context, then there will likely be a higher probability uh, for flourishing. And we don't assume that you can just drag and drop something that you saw somebody else do somewhere else uh, and that it can lead uh, to flourishing. Can you talk to us a little about how your context of service is informing your content of ministry? Uh, we are situated in a neighborhood that is within close proximity to the University of Memphis. So that's that campus. And then three or four very diverse intersecting neighborhoods and communities, all of which are in their own various degrees of transformation and or even gentrification, if you will. And we also have around us two apartment complexes that are filled with low income african americans and veterans and so and and then another aspect is literally across the tracks you know you talk about the other side literally across the tracks from where our church is uh is what once was redlined and zoned in the city exclusively for the white citizens but now is slowly changing i had a member who relocated to new york who intentionally sold his property to a young African-American man so as to change the landscape. So all of that is going on uh, in our neighborhood right around us. We have a large uh, uh, Latino community, Latinx community, 
um, a large neighbor, a large transient community, all of that is different from where we were and has required us to reassess, if you will, who we were when we came into the neighborhood and what we expected as a uh, smaller congregation. Our, our church is what I call a boutique church in that we have been intentionally um, not desiring to be small so much, but intentionally what you experience in a boutique versus a, a big box store, if you will, that we are working to be relational in one-on-one in -on -one kind of ways and figuring out how to do that in the la large, larger landscape of where we are now and have been for the last six years has been both a blessing and a challenge, uh, some of which is because of where we are located versus where we were. So what we are currently doing as a result of this pilgrimage is some uh, asset mapping, is asking ourselves uh, what, what, what do we have in our hands and then being more concentrated on what do we see around us. The building that we currently are in, in the apartment complex, were once built to serve each other and now no longer do that. The church, a Lutheran church, built the church and the apartment complex with the goal that the seniors would be able to literally walk out and come into the church building. They, we don't have that relationship currently, um, not with the same intentionality, but we're beginning now, six years in, uh, now that we know that we're in this space and settling in like a plant that finally gets settled in its new pot, we are beginning to look around and instead of expecting people to come to us, we're looking at how we can be um, available to others, born out of our uh, content and capacity. So for instance, we have always had a social justice uh, spirit in the life of our church. I came in uh, as one connected to the issue of domestic violence. And so there's always been this thrust of how do you help folks on the edge? That, that really is a part of us. So we look at our uh, complex behind us and the towers are filled with veterans who have mental health issues and substance abuse issues, all of which are part of who we are. So now what we have to do is be intentional about availing our resources to them and, and finding out how they want to utilize um, the resources that we have. So I guess that's just one example. We use our building, housing, um, uh, homelessness is a major uh, issue in our area. And so we partner with um, um, another organization, Room in the End, because we now have uh, a huge plant that we want to figure out. So annually we use the space for that. So, but those are things that we brought with us, right? But what we are doing now, again, is looking at um, what we as a relatively small congregation with a backdrop of all these larger resources around us can one-on-one uh, -on -one do to help people. Um, we are in the process of, of discovering our gifts as well as the gifts around us and, and, and learning how to be intentional about reaching out as opposed to expecting people to reach in. Well, it sounds like you're really pursuing uh, what some people call an asset-based approach That's right. uh, to your context rather than seeing problems and deficits. Uh, yeah. It sounds like you, I mean, you even talked about resource, after you talked about the, the apartment complexes and, you know, even some of the social demographics, which some people who are situated differently would see that as a problem to attack. You talked about these resources for us to, I guess in my word would be 
uh, resources to give you opportunity to bear good and faithful witness to Jesus in the world. Yes. And I, I for transparency's sake, we've not always um, approached it from that. Because when we moved from where we were, it was a much smaller, much more intimate, um, almost behind the wall, if you will. Gideon worked behind, stayed behind the wall to work. Gideon, Nehemiah worked behind the wall. And that when we were in our former space, we were, it was very easy for us to do ministry in very small, intimate context. Where we are now is literally at the crossroads of, of all kinds of activity. And we've had to shift and not see ourselves as grasshoppers, to be honest, in the midst of larger. And so uh, I, to use your analogy, the analogy of, of a tree, what I said when we moved was we were in our former space, a, a plant that was in too small a pot and we were gonna have pot rot if we didn't have more space. We had enough to live, but not enough to grow. But when we got into our new space, our you know, you can't put a pot, a plant in too big of a pot because then it goes into shock. And so we literally went into three times the size and had to sit for a minute to realize, OMG. And we've struggled with that, quite honestly. But we're now, six years in, uh, beginning to say, okay, but what do you have in your hand? What do we really have? And what is around us? Because God would not have moved us here uh, with in such a powerful way for us to not figure out how to thrive in the way that works best for us. So it has indeed been a growing edge for us. A word to our listeners. Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast is funded by the Lilly Endowment through its Thriving in Ministry initiative. We'll be right back with more from the interview. Since 1897, the Lot Carey Global Christian Missional Community has helped churches to extend the Christian witness around the world through prayer partnership, financial support, and technical assistance. We come alongside indigenously-led communities to support ministries of evangelism, compassion, empowerment, and advocacy. Together, we are touching lives with transforming love. You can invest in churches, schools, clinics, and more throughout the world. Visit us at lotcary.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot O-R-G. Thanks for your partnership in this ministry. Welcome back to the Lot Carey Podcast, Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, the Learning Coordinator of Lot Carey's Thriving in Ministry Program. Each week in this podcast, my colleague, Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, interviews a prominent Black pastoral leader to gain insight for flourishing in ministry. Now back to more of his interview with Reverend Dr. Rosalind Nichols, organizing pastor of Freedom's Chapel Christian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. Can you talk to us now a little bit about how your capacity, 
your personal capacity as the pastor contributes to the content of ministry. And this could be an example from, you know, your ministry um, over time or where you are situated. I think that my own capacity has shifted. When I started 20 years ago, I was 20 years younger. I was a lot less uh, uh, jaded, if you will, <laughs> on some aspects, right? But um, I also have been at it long enough to know a rhythm, to realize, um, to gain a little wisdom on the rise and fall of the journey. And, and so I think my capacity now is more geared toward building up leaders. Jesus raised up disciples, and we often think of those as followers, but really he raised up disciples who would be leaders, right? And so I look at my folks and am more intentional about giving them ownership of this, I think, all the time. And I have said to my folks in recent years, you know, Jesus told them every day, you know I'm leaving, don't you? And I have had to say, that doesn't mean I'm walking out the door, but the goal is for you to own it. So even as we speak, we are in uh, a season of reorganization and, uh, and the tension with me and perhaps the ministry is for them to get comfortable with me leaning back and not being the go-to person. Yeah. And as a result, okay, so as a result, what it means is that I have watched baby steps, if you will, of people feeling safe to take that ownership. I'll give you a perfect example. So our deacon and greeters uh, are a small group of folks, uh, but faithful folks who before would have been uh, kind of like uh, the young woman in Eddie Murphy's Coming to America. You know, whatever you like has whatever you like. And <laughs> it drives me crazy, quite honestly. But recently, as I've kind of nudged and said, no, no, what do you like? They took ownership of wanting to do a voter registration drive. And I leaned all the way back. Now, I know heretofore, my capacity would have been all over it, trying to figure it out and work it out and ask the questions. But I leaned all the way back and, and took a deep breath and said, I have no idea what this is going to turn into. But, you know, they're all grown people. A lot of them got more experience than I have in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And they were able to do it. And as a result, now we're building. And I have various examples of that. Um, where I know how to dip in and bring things together, but I also know how to lean back. So that's my capacity, and that's how it is transforming our content uh, in, in this current season. Oh, that's a great uh, example of you're talking about an area of leadership uh, in which you've had to evolve, because sometimes when, especially if people are earlier in the journey and they look at someone else, I mean, you're approaching 20 years as a lead pastor and people will see how you function and how you move uh and and may feel like i can't do it that way but it sounds like to me what you're saying is you know you look at me now uh but this is a snapshot uh and it took me 19 years to get to where i am now and i'm still on a journey that's what it sounds like yes yes with bumps and bruises along the way. Which interesting that you would say that because 20 years ago, I would have done exactly what you're talking about, about the colleagues around me who were more seasoned. I would have looked at them and, and, and examined it and reached out to them for that kind of advice. And so when people reach out to me, it always quite honestly kind of shocked me. And what I end up saying is, look at here, you know, 
this is a work in progress. Don't, don't, don't take this like the Ten Commandments in stone. And so I guess what I am able to offer is the confidence that, you know, it, it doesn't have to be all perfect and, and you'll figure it out. We don't always give ourselves permission to try and fail in our trying as well as succeed. Yeah. So I've, I've learned that my capacity to be comfortable with that has expanded. You talked a little earlier uh, when you were talking about push and, and you kind of uh, self-edited where you said you would have, uh, I, I think, as, at least as I've heard it, you would have pushed hard or pushed differently. And so can you say how sometimes uh, as pastors are trying to encourage people to do something different, it sounds like sometimes people may interpret a hard push when it may be a different nudge. Yes, one of my growing edges is realizing that people bring an expectation to me as their pastor. I am always just Roz, and my, my title does not always equate with my understanding of myself, if that makes sense. So I'm always Roz. But what I have learned is that when people see me, uh, they see Pastor Ross. And so they relate to me in that way. And, and that what I say sometimes can be communicated differently. So yes, there have been times early on when, um, or even now in this time, when I may, um, well, let me say, in the past, I would have reached that tension in ministry and leaned back so as to not uh, offend or not scare or not this or not that or I would have gone to the complete other end and pushed until it just you know pushed away whereas now I have learned a rhythm if you will of how to push and back up and do a, a check so I'll push and then I'll ask okay what are y'all hearing what what do y'all sense and learning to create that atmosphere of more dialogue and uh, collegial spirit. So yeah, there have been times when I, I have gone one extreme or the other. And I think where I am now is somewhere closer to a, um, a wiser middle in terms of, of, and more clear about my goal. Today, my goal is to help that person to become the leader, one, so that I don't have to lead every time. And the other before would have been um, not knowing that they saw me as this pastor and that they brought their expectations and I didn't know how to manage all of that. Does that mean that you have, uh, you interpret uh, your way of, of leading and being a pastor in a more, is it would informal compared to a formal way be, uh, is that the right language? It sounds like, uh, you're okay if someone, one of your congregants, for example, does not address you as Dr. Nichols right. or, or Reverend Dr. Nichols, and you've got all those degrees behind your name and been all over the world. Am I hearing you right? Yes. The answer to your question is yes. I don't, uh, my folks will say just last week, it's interesting you said that in a Bible study, one of my members, we were having conversation. I was saying, what do y'all need and blah, blah. And she said, Roz, right? Roz, what we appreciate you about you is that, you know, you're just regular. We can, we can approach you. We can reach you. My, my, the children who have grown up with me, they call me Roz, but I've also watched people evolve 
those who have been with me the longest, there are moments when they shift depending on what they need and I become Pastor Ross. But I grew up with people who I realized, I grew up with people who were major uh, players in our community, major folks who when you met them, they would say, you know, they were, they were, for instance, Maxine or Vasco. That's who they were to me. I didn't call them Mrs. Smith or Dr. Smith. And something about that is attractive to me, that I can be all of that and, and still be approachable. That, that Jesus, when people said, Rabbi, a teacher, you know, he was like, why are you, why, why are you going through all of that? And so, yes, that, and, and yet I've also with colleagues in ministry who are far more formal, who have said things to me like, you're gonna teach them to respect you. Because I do know that as a woman in ministry, uh, sometimes that does not work to my benefit in terms of respect and honoring who I am. So that when I do have to assert myself as I is the pastor, that it sometimes throws people off. I'll give you an example. I had a, a gentleman who was interested in joining the church. I have an, a, an assistant who uh, I ordained, he's been with me now 17 years, and he is a, a father and a husband and seven feet tall. And so this gentleman called me to say, you know, he was interested in joining the church, but he had to talk to this, the, my assistant. And I said, why are you talking to him? And I was just curious. I didn't really think about anything. I just thought maybe there's, you know, guys to guys. And he said, well, you know, I, I, I need to see if, it's, if he's all right with me joining. <laughs> And it just kind of floored me. My mouth fell up. I said, well, you got to ask him he's, what he's saying. And before I knew it, the first and only time in, in my ministry, I said, whose name is on the outside of that building? <laughs> right? <laughs> and so there are times when my, my, and I had a colleague once who reminded me, no, this is, they will only refer to me wherever I go as Reverend Dr. Rosalind Nichols. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I yield to it when it's necessary, but in the context of me and ministry and my church, yes, if folks call me Roz, but they respect the fact that I'm the pastor of the church and, and figuring out how we all work that out is really organic in my, in my place. I have told them I don't eat off of paper plates. I is the pastor. And if I was black male, Baptist preacher, you'd give me a plate and a piece of chicken. So there are times when I create space, but it's not around titles and stuff. Yeah. More relational, probably. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I think that's part of the beauty of uh, Black pastoral life is, is there just a variety uh, in, in so much of our lives, including uh, the degree of formality and informality uh, of different uh, pastors and sometimes are these stereotypes. But uh, what you're helping us to see is those stereotypes are ju just that. Um, as a pastor of uh, almost two decades, what brings you the most joy as a pastor? Oh, I love that question. Hearing someone say, I never thought of it that way. That makes my day. I realize at this stage, I really love uh, Bible study and spiritual growth. I love that. That's really um, what keeps me fresh and alive in ministry are my Bible study and spiritual growth places. And when people say, uh, yeah, I never thought of it that way, that is, that's like fertilizer on my spiritual soil. And so my Bible study moments, my spiritual growth uh, places that we do it formally and informally, 
Um, if I preach a sermon and somebody comes to me later on and again, they, it just made them think differently, that gives me joy. That is the greatest joy that I have in, in ministry and watching people grow spiritually, even if they grow in ways that, um, that were unexpected to me or people who I thought were wherever I thought they were and to know that they're still open. You know, my 82 year old aunt who is still willing to explore and think about her faith differently in addition to the 30 year old who, you know, texts me and said, she was reading the book of Ruth and realized Ruth and Boaz might have actually had relations. And was that in the Bible? And I'm like, yeah, on a, you know, on a Facebook post that, you know, that is what makes me smile. That's what makes me stay with this journey. Has that changed over time uh, when you were, say, maybe seven to 10 years in? No. What has changed is my awareness that I need that to do the other pieces of ministry. That, that, that is, in order for me to attend to the administrative things or the things that are more challenging to me, that what I need um, is, are those moments and those opportunities for that. Do you remember the best advice that, that you received about pastoral leadership? Um, yes, and it relates to when we first planted uh, Freedom's Chapel. And uh, the regional minister of the Christian Church of Tennessee at the time, but one of the things that he told me at the very beginning was to not put structure on a thing that was in formation, uh, to not be so concerned with things looking like a traditional church in order to feel that we were a traditional church at the very beginning. That, I think, is some of the best advice that I got as a church planter and the pastor of a church plant, is to not force something uh, on something that's still figuring itself out. Can you think of one or two things that you've learned that, that may be different uh, for people to be aware of if they are an organizing pastor or a pastor who's in a church plant compared to a pastor who is called to an existing congregation? Yes. What I would say to my former self is to make certain that you are attending to yourself as much as you are attending to that new baby. We sometimes sacrifice ourselves for this plant. We all have different nuances, but what I have heard consistently is that among women who plant churches, we are more inclined to sacrifice ourselves for the greater good of the plant, uh, when really the best advice that we could take and receive is to not do that. Uh, it goes back to put the oxygen mask on yourself and all of those kind of things, you know, you know, sleep when the baby sleeps, all of those kind of examples are important. Um, that are different from people who go into existing churches where certain things, certain packages and certain arrangements around pastoral leadership already exist. That when I look back over my journey, there, are, there have been uh, seasons where I would have, where I put off attending to Roz because I was giving the church room to, to do well or flourish or whatever. So that would be my, my, my greatest uh, advice. That and make certain that in the beginning of a church plant, that you do not move without somebody who can count your money and, and, and handle the finances of the church. Don't think that's secondary. Make that primary. We've had a wonderful conversation. 
with Dr. Roz Nichols, uh, the pastor of Freedom's Chapel Christian Church. It's a part of the Disciples family, and she's in Memphis, Tennessee. We're grateful for the generosity of your time and your wisdom, and thankful for your witness. Uh, thanks for being with us on our Pilgrimage of Striving and Thriving podcast today. Thank you, Dr. Goli. This has indeed been a blessing, even just to reflect in this way and have this conversation. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, a weekly podcast from Lot Carey as we listen in on conversations with prominent pastoral thought leaders. Join us next week for a conversation with a new guest and fresh insights. Wisdom from the Black Church for the whole church. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving is produced in partnership with Good Faith Media. Music by Makita McQuarrie. Share the word with those who need to hear it. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, wherever you get your podcasts. Also listen online at lotcarry.org. Mm-hmm.